And now in contrast, last week in chapter 16, a turning point, and in chapter 17, we see David in contrast, God's choice for king. David had a heart that chased after God. David's faith in God, his belief in God, led him to obedience. David rescued Israel through the power of God the Spirit. David obeyed because of the work of God the Spirit in his life. And you know what's neat about that? Do you believe it today that God the Spirit, when you put your faith in God, gives you the power to overcome a Goliath as well, whatever we face in our world? I want to hang our thoughts on two scripture passages. The first is David's famous speech uh, from chapter 17, verse 45. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel for the battle is the Lord's. And then Zechariah 4, 6. This is the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Let's give attention to God's word. I'll be reading starting at verse 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, reading through verse 11. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of this coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he, had a bronze. and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And a shield-bearer went before him, and he stood, and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that will fight, and we will fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's take a moment to pray. Father and God, we ask you now to take your words, your truth, lessons that you want us to hear today so that we will believe and trust in you, that you will empower us as you've promised to all those who look to you in faith. We pray this in the name of Christ, the Lord Jesus, because he's the one who made a way for us to have faith and to be rescued. Be honored and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By my spirit, but first of all, we see that Saul was faithless and fearful apart from the spirit of God. In verse 11, we read this, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, Goliath had come down and, and challenged them. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. You may have noticed in the bulletin insert, if you didn't, there's a little map in the back. This is a geography lesson. Just real quick, uh, simple sketch, Matt Meter's handwriting here. Point one is the fact that 
In chapter 11, Saul had been filled with the Spirit of God. He had been empowered by God, and he delivered Jabesh-Gilead, the city that was being besieged by that bad guy Nahash and the Ammonites. And they surrounded that city, and they were going to put out their eyes if they didn't surrender. And Saul came and rescued them by the Spirit of God, and it was great rejoicing, it says at the end of chapter 11, because God had delivered, and, and God had used Saul to deliver some of his people from the bully. A little bit later on in chapter 14, we just read about Jonathan. God the Spirit guided him, and he and his armor bearer said, God, if you, if you want us to go and fight those Philistines that are encamped up above us here, that outpost, just give us a sign. And God gave him a sign. They said, oh, come up here and we'll show you something. So he and his armor bearer went up, and two guys killed enemy Philistines, 20 of them in half an acre about half the lot that Grace Chapel sits on. God was with them. God was working, and God sent a great deliverance that day, shook the earth, and, and the Philistines ran, and Israel had a great victory. And now we get to chapter 17, and just point three, we're in the Valley of Elah, and I just wanted to point out that there were enemies coming from the east, and the Philistines were coming from the, they were shore people. They lived down at the beach, the lowlands. But they were infiltrating Israel. But we see that God's beginning to push them back toward the coast. So God was going to work. So Goliath comes down. And he's a big guy. He's intimidating. The Greek translations only make him 6'9". But I really believe he was nine feet whatever tall. So I'm almost six feet tall, okay? <laughs> Didn't quite make it. So add another three feet or so to me, and imagine I'm probably three or four times <laughs> my width because I'm a little guy. But he wasn't. And the, and the weight of his armor makes the nine foot six or whatever inches tall, probably the realistic height, because it was tons of pounds, 125 pounds of armor, okay? A weaver's beam is something like that, and a, sh a spearhead about 15 pounds. I know what an eight pound sledgehammer feels like, and it's heavy. So it's like, wow, this guy was huge. And he had not only size, but he had skills. He'd been trained from his youth as a warrior. He was a formidable foe. He was armed to the teeth with a sword, a shield, a spear, and also a javelin strung on his back. So he was armed and ready to go with modern-day weaponry of the time. And the truth is, we know that Saul was his best match because we remember King Saul was a head taller than any other Israelites. He was God's appointed deliverer, but what was he doing? This man came down, this Goliath, and challenged the armies of God. He defies the whole army, and we see Saul without faith. He turned his back on God. He was trusting in himself, going his own way. He turned his back on Samuel, God's spokesman. He turned his back on God, his God-appointed Savior and, and deliverer, and he was dismayed and terrified. And so as the king goes, so goes the nation. So goes the other soldiers. And they're terrified as well. That's what happens when God's people 
begin to go their own way. And we've all been there. We relied on our own strength. We disregard God's word and we refuse to believe and obey and the power of God is removed. And Saul became spiritually dull. He lacked a trust in God and he was afraid. Numbers 13. Some of you are familiar with this story. Do you remember there was a time when the Israelites all felt small before some other tall people? Numbers 13, they were supposed to go into the promised land, but they weren't trusting God. They weren't believing God. God said, I want you to go into the land, and they sent the, you know, the 12 spies. Ten were bad, and two were good. And they believed the report of the 10 spies, and they said, we look like grasshoppers. And they saw us the same way. They were projecting how they were feeling. They weren't trusting in God. They were disobeying. They had a low view of God. And they believed they were powerless. And they became fearful. And they should have been courageous. They saw big people. I see big people. And they should have seen a big God. And they didn't. Remember Moses? Moses, I want you to go. I want you to go to Pharaoh. And and what did he say? Lord, it's just me. Send somebody else. Lord, who am I? Moses, what's in your hand? It's just a stick. How can a stick deliver Israel from Pharaoh, the world power, the leader of the most powerful nation in the world at the time? Who could deliver this. It's certainly not me. And God just said, Moses, throw that stick down into, so to speak, into my hand and see what I can do. Look, who am I? Go ahead, look around. Who are we? (laughs) That God would use us to declare and show off his glory, but understand, believe it today, that he is the one who wants to use you to rescue people, to change this world, to bring some justice into it where there isn't some, to help those who are down, those who are lost in darkness that don't know that God has come to deliver them. You want to hear a sad story? No, you don't want to hear a sad story. It's Mother's Day, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We can't, we won't. (laughs) We can't, we won't. That was the words of the home church where I grew up. The church where I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. Where I came was led to faith through it. But for a decade, that congregation said, we can't, we won't. They were run by a business model, by what men could see, not what God was seeing. And God removed the lampstand. That church was about the size of Grace Chapel, except there was a balcony and there was a dome. And as a child, I looked up and it, it just drew your eyes to heaven because it was so awesome. I still remember the, the, the golden uh, lyre in the one corner and a star of David over here and the gold fleck paint. It was a gorgeous sanctuary built for the glory of God. But God removed the lampstand because the congregation said, we can't, we won't, we won't obey. And it was given to another congregation that said, we will. We will trust in our God to do his work. We will look to the high ceilings of heaven 
and not to the low ceilings of our human strength. I don't know if you're engulfed with fear today or dismay, but I tell you, look to God. Saul's fear and dismay and the armies are highlighted the low point, so we see David. And David comes on the scene, and it's not by accident that we see his faithfulness. This is point two, by the way, Mark. <laughs> Faithful and courageous with God the Spirit. Let's just read a few verses because this chapter's one of the longest ones in 1 Samuel. Beginning at verse 22. David has been called up. Goliath's out there. David's home taking care of sheep, and his father sends him to take supplies to his brothers. In verse 22 it says, And David left the things in charge of the keeper, the baggage, and he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the, man, the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the, to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his brothers, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him and toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they were, were repeated them, they, they were repeated before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Don't you love those bold words of David's? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he should defy the armies of the living God. So there's no accident that Saul's being compared to David. We want to see what faith, what, what's it like living without faith in God and trusting in him, even though you're called to do that, and someone who is living by faith and doing what God's called him to do. So we get to see these two different responses. And we get to be reintroduced to David's three brothers because they're the older guys, the more experienced guys, the, the professional soldiers. I mean, David's just the, the water boy, so to speak. He was the one watching the sheep. His dad sent him. Daddy sent me to bring you some food, some supplies, to bring some word back to find out what's going on because I'm too little. I'm too young. I'm inexperienced. I'm just a shepherd boy. You guys are the soldiers, but we see that David's really the one who has a heart to serve God. David arrives in time, get this, to hear Goliath's 40th challenge. He'd been doing this for 40 days. I imagine Matt Meter would be one of the soldiers hiding in a hole. 
And I would be saying, Lord, can't you just get rid of this guy? Just shut him up. But David came with faith. There's this wonderful interaction between the soldiers and David, and there's a reason there's that dialogue there. Because there's two different worldviews going on here, people. The soldiers are being influenced by the unbelief of their leader, Saul. Just take note of that. I don't know if they were men of faith or not, but they're being influenced by their leader who's trembling along with them, who's supposed to be leading them and delivering them, but he's not because he's turned his back on God. And they're saying, they call Goliath this man. And David calls Goliath this uncircumcised Philistine, not meaning any disrespect, so to speak, but just saying this guy is not a believer in the true God, and we are. So don't look at him as just some regular guy. He, he doesn't have any power outside what God's given him. It's a different worldview that David's expressing. The soldier said he comes out to defy Israel. That's very earth and human-centered. He's, he's, he's defying our nation, and David says he's come out to defy the armies of the living God. So it's a big picture. He's thinking about God. He's thinking about heaven. He's thinking about who Israel is called to be as a nation, and he's got a bigger picture view of things. He's not thinking worldly, just who's got the power down here. He's thinking about who's truly in charge, the God of heaven. And then the soldiers say, to the man who kills him, there's going to be physical blessings. That's the main focus. Hey, folks, he's going to get rich. He's going to get a wife. And his family's going to be living tax-free. That's a big deal, okay? Boy, if I had all the money. No, we won't go there. That the government has, you know. But that, there's blessings from that, right? But look, David says, the man who kills him will remove the disgrace from Israel. Again, a bigger world view. He understands what God wants Israel to be and to do in his plan, so he wants to be a part of that. And notice it's the old older brother, younger brother theme in the Bible, Eliab. Knew David was anointed. He was at the sacrifice where David got anointed as king, and he's putting down his little brother like Joseph's older brothers did to him, even though he was a called one. That repeated theme, the theme that was repeated when Jesus came, the greatest of all, deliverers. So David's faith is given to us by God to inspire our faith. So Saul's bringing people down, and David is there to start bringing them up, to see God for who God really is. So we need to guard our hearts, people, with the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean every time I see you, please don't quote me a verse. But encourage my heart with God's truth because we are getting beat down all the time and we need to encourage one another with who God is and what he's about. We need to have that new worldview that's not shrinking back like the soldiers were, just thinking about, well, the riches of this world, but have a bigger worldview about what God wants us to do in the kingdom. A new worldview, a new way of living, a new power. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about it. We can't look at people the same anymore. Why? Because we know that Jesus died for everyone. 
And because that's true, we don't know who is and who isn't going to be one of his children. So we look at all people as potential believers and children of God. So we go and work and live in a way so that they can be join us because Jesus died for us. Since we have the same spirit, we know that uh, we're all new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. So don't lose heart. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I don't need more courage to be preaching and point my finger at you people. I need more courage to go love my neighbor and begin to interact with them so that they might hear and believe the gospel. I need the God to wake up my heart to seek out the stranger and welcome them. I need courage to admit my faith is weak and that I'm tired or worn out by what life's putting on me so that you can help me, so that we can help one another. I need, I need God to help me see his glory so I don't give up, so I pass on the gospel in words and deeds. Several years ago, I went back to Seneca Hills Bible Conference. That's where I heard the gospel and made the step. It was that one summer there when I was a kid, 11, almost 12 years old. It was there. I didn't know what I was getting into, but I stood up and said a couple years later, I'll go and do whatever you want me to do, Lord. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into. But I'm not sorry I did that. Had the privilege to go back there with Leslie and a couple of our kids several years ago now, but to see how it had changed. And happened to be a family weekend there, and one of my relatives, we called him a second cousin, he was my mom's cousin, Ken Cipher. He was there. So he took us on a tour. And I got to see how everything had changed. And, and, and Ken's this great guy, visionary guy. And he said, oh, we, new chapel, new, new, new gym recreation center, a new climbing wall. We're going to put in a new pool. We want to do this and we want to do that. But, you know, it wasn't about the buildings. He could see it in his eyes, hear it in his voice. It's about the people. I've run into that here with the property committee. You know, they're always talking about new this, new this, we'd like to improve that. But, you know, it's not about the building, it's about the people, about the kids that are going to hear the gospel, the teenagers are going to be confronted, the families that are going to be helped. It's about supporting one another. It's about people hearing the gospel and growing in their faith and, and knowledge of Christ. It's about the people. Ken knew the mission to know Christ and to make him known. Do you know the mission? David knew the mission. He knew his God, and he was ready to go. He was ready to deliver what God had sent him to do. Saul, without faith and without God, the spirit was filled with dismay for 40 days. That's a long time to be hearing it. Come on and being afraid to step out in faith and do what God called you to do. D.L. Modi wrote this. Someone has said there was not a man in all Saul's army but knew that God would use him 
to defeat and meet Goliath, meet and defeat Goliath. But there was only one who believed that God would use him, and God did. Saul should have been, but David the younger, the smaller, the weaker person was the one God used. And God will use the lesser ones that are here today if only we will let him. There's no living person God cannot use if that person is willing to be used. So it really is a hard issue, isn't it? Faith in God triumphs. Let's read just a little bit more, starting at verse Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand. This is David. Verse 40. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook. And we believe those stones, by the way, were probably about the size of a baseball. Okay. You get the picture. And put them in the shepherd's pouch, and a sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Kind of a tit for tat there, right? And then all the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord will save not with a sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Wow. Famous speech. Dramatic speech. And the battle was over in an instant. Goliath didn't know what hit him. He didn't have a chance. He just didn't know it because he was trusting in himself. He had a bad worldview. Hey, you remember the story about Dagon falling down the idol before the, the Ark of the Covenant? Well, that's exactly what happened to Goliath. He was trusting in an idol, a false god, and he fell face down too. And his arms and hands, so to speak, got broken off, except it was, happened to be his head. Kind of a gross picture. Those were trophies back then. We might be grossed out by that, but understand that that was a sign that God was with David, that God was leading David, that God was going to use him. And he did. You know David's speech? It's one of those I wish I had said that. But the truth is we should because we serve the same God. And as we walk near him and believe in him, we can conquer things that we seem, think are insurmountable and that are so huge. Well, we cringe back in fear and God says, go forward. And we do it not because we want to be famous, but because we want the Lord's name to be known among the nations, among this assembly. That there is a God 
And we love him and serve him because he first loved us. Do you know God's ways? It's not the strong. Not the physically people who have it. But he uses the people who don't seem to have it. But who believe in him. Who trust in him. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the most foolish message in all the world. The cross is our trophy. And it's a sign of death and shame. But Jesus Christ made it victorious. Because he's the true deliverer. David said, I will, don't be afraid, let no heart fail. I'll kill this Philistine. Well, that's what Jesus did, except he didn't kill the giant Goliath. He killed the giant of sin and death. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them fail. You believe in God, trust in me. I'm going to die, and I'm going to be resurrected again because I have conquered death. Have you believed that this morning? There's a righteousness that you can get from God. It's not through faith in yourself, but through faith in Christ. It's what the Old Testament tells us. In Romans 3, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested or declared or made uh, revealed apart from the law, not keeping the law, but through the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction for all of sin. And we fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Salvation from sin through the good news that Christ has died and is raised again. Do you know God's ways? It's through the preaching of this news, the gospel that Christ died for sin and rose again. That's what changes people. That's the power that changes people. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that it's God that uses clay jars, clay pots, weak, fragile things to show off his glory? We read about that in 1 Corinthians. He's chosen the weak things to put to shame what the world thinks is strong. It shows that God's powerful, not us. The Jewish rulers did not know what they were up against, like Goliath didn't know what he was up against. Goliath thought he was up against a little shepherd boy. He didn't realize that there were the armies of God behind him, with him, empowering him, enabling him, chose him. You're chosen. You're called to go and do God's work. The Jewish Jewish rulers did not know they were fighting against God. They thought they were just fighting against 11 scared disciples trembling in a room, earthly power, and it was God. Do you feel small? have to laugh. I felt small this week. 26 middle school students on Wednesday night. I was expecting about 18. Most of them were boys. Middle school workers, you know. Do you ever feel small? How do you corral these people? Some were there for the food, probably. Some were there for the games, combat dodgeball. They can explain it to you if you don't know what that is. Some were there just to be with their friends. 
Lord, how can we even begin to have them settle down to hear the truth that you love them and care for them and they need to trust in you? How do you get that through to them? And then I need to remember when I'm feeling like small in those moments that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Are you feeling overwhelmed by feeling small in front of your financial needs? Your academic pressures? Graduating and not knowing what's ahead? Those are scary giants, so to speak. Huge things, but God knows all about those pressures. Are you feeling small in front of all the relationship tensions in your life, whether it's in family or work or neighbors and all those issues? Do you feel small sometimes about the political scene and where the world's going? Well, don't feel. Remember, yeah, we are small. So don't forget that you're small. But remember, you have been called and chosen by a greater God than everything that's here. He's in control. I just asked you this morning, David held up a head. That's kind of a trophy. And the armor was trophies too. But what would be the trophies that God would like us to hold up? That his power helped us overcome today. The trophies of gentleness instead of harsh words. The, the, the trophies of sacrifice, self-sacrifice so that others could live. The, the trophies of kindness and boldness for justice. Not ashamed to speak the gospel of God. There was only one soldier on that battlefield that day that I believe had God's vision for what God wanted to do, and it was David. David saw God's name being dishonored, and he knew he was God's servant, and faith empowered David, and he was depending on God. He put his trust in God, and God used him. I want to just close with this thought, an invitation from Jesus. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, we read this, and he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And first he found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, who was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and he said, follow me. So Jesus is here today just saying, come and see. Come and see who I am. Come investigate who I am, and come and know me. I paid for your sins by my death. I've conquered death. I'm the risen Savior. Come and see what I'm about and trust in me and find life. Not only that, but he comes to us and he says, come and see, but then come and be changed. He gave Peter a new name just to emphasize that, Peter, you're going to be a rock. You're going to be a st stable. And Peter wasn't stable, but he's about change, about transforming us into a new person, new images. So be changed. Because I was an enemy of God, but now he calls me his friend. All because of what Christ has done. All because of what God has done for me and opened my eyes to see through faith. 
from sinner to saint, from enemy to friend, from one destined for wrath to one destined for glory. So be changed. And then follow, like David followed. Know your God. Come and see what he's about. Know what Jesus has done. Be changed and follow. I invite you to do that this morning after the service is finished. We invite you to come over to pray, to talk more about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to believe, what it means to be changed if you don't understand that. would love to talk or to pray with you. Maybe you have some things you're facing that seem too big to overcome and you're asking, you want help to ask God to help you through it, to overcome it. We would love to do that. Don't delay. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask you today to be mighty through your people and show us your hand. Lord, we believe in you. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to see the big picture, your glorious name. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you stand together as we close our service?